hundreds of stories, documents, photos and videos produced by people from all over Europe. This is My History, a collaborative project of the European Parliament in which Europe's history and people's lives come together. It's for the Shoah, for justice and the need to remember, but remembering actively, not passively. You can have a very accurate memory and be passive, or you can have a very accurate memory and be active. This is the story of Serge Klaasvelt, a French historian, writer and lawyer, who was born in Bucharest, Romania, in 1935. And this is how his story and that of his family begins a story which is intertwined with the history of France. In summer 1940, France was split into two zones, the northern or occupied zone under the control of the Nazis and the southern or free zone under the control of the Vichy regime. In southeastern France, the situation changed in 1942. On the 11th of November 1942, the Germans invaded the Free Zone and the Italians were given eight departments in the southeast to administer. The Italians had been very kind to the Jews and protected them, which was a highly unusual situation in a Europe which had been enslaved by the Third Reich. The Italian army had an excellent relationship with the Jews in Italy, who had a good reputation, worked hard and joined the army. There were even Jewish admirals and generals from before the war, from before the time of Mussolini, of course. The Italians protected us until the 8th of September 1943, when Italy surrendered to the Allies and the Germans invaded the Italian zone. They immediately started organizing roundups, which were regarded as the toughest in Western Europe. They would arrest people in the street just because they thought they might be Jews. Then they would undress the men to see if they had been circumcised. It was really difficult for the Jews in Nice, and there were a lot of them, at least 20,000 in the town and the surrounding area. For Serge's father Arnaud, escape was not an option, even though the situation was becoming more and more difficult. My father decided he couldn't, that it was too dangerous for us to escape, as the Germans were watching the stations and the roads and were checking people's papers on the buses. Arnaud Klaasfeld decided to make a hiding place with a false partition, a popular trick at the time for people trying to escape from the Gestapo. My father built a false partition in a deep wardrobe, a simple plywood partition with a clothes rod in front. And on the 30th of September, we did a practice, first of all, and my father said to us, you must take this seriously and you must not make any noise if the Germans come. I will survive if we're arrested, but you're only children. He even said to my mother, you three would be sure to die in the camps. It'll be very difficult to survive. So he made this hiding place for my mother, my sister and me. One evening, the false partition would save their lives. A roundup is organised in their street. The Gestapo are looking for Jews. I 
I was eight years old. It was the day before we were going back to school, the 30th of September 1943. We'd been in Nice for a couple of years, since 1941. My father had been a volunteer in the war and was taken prisoner at the Somme. He'd escaped and met up with us in the free zone and taken us to Nice. And at midnight on the 30th of September, we saw lights and heard a lorry. There was a light shining on the ceiling of our flat as the Germans had put floodlights on the lorries so they could see if anyone was running away. They lit up the facades of the buildings. The roundup was carried out in several buildings at the same time. We lived in the Rue d'Italie, beside the cathedral. My parents made the beds and my mother, my sister and I went into the hiding place. We took our clothes with us trying to conceal the fact that there were several people in the flat. The Germans came up floor by floor and went from flat to flat. They went into our neighbour's flat. The wardrobe was against the adjoining wall. There were two young girls, friends of my sister's. I knew them well. Straight away, the Germans started hitting them. The Germans wanted to know where their brother was hiding. They must have been told something. There'd been a tip-off. In the end, the parents told them, as the girls were crying and shouting, and the father was yelling, help, French police, French police, save us. But the French police didn't come. Only the Germans were involved in the roundups. The French police didn't cooperate, they stayed away. After the Germans had been to the neighbours, they arrived at the Klaasfeld's flat. Then they rang our bell. My father opened the door and straight away they said, and I can still hear it, where are your wife and children? My father said, our flat's been disinfected, they're in the countryside. This was true and you could still smell it. They didn't press the point as they could see that my father was big and strong and he would certainly not tell them where we were. They started looking through the flat and one of them came into the wardrobe. We couldn't see him, we were standing side by side behind the partition. My sister had a sore throat and had stuffed a handkerchief in her mouth. I stood quietly, although I was very boisterous by nature, and we heard the clothes being moved along the clothes rod as someone checked to see if there was anyone behind them. They didn't touch the partition. It was dark in the wardrobe and they didn't see that it was a wooden partition and not the back of the wardrobe itself. They closed the door. They told my father to get dressed and they went out. My father came to the hiding place as he'd given his keys to my mother and he wanted to lock the door. He didn't want to do anything that might make the Germans think that the family was still in the flat. Not locking the door would have aroused suspicion. He took the keys, kissed my mother's hand and left without saying a word. He went into the neighbours to reassure them, and then he left. And that was the last time I ever saw him. Serge Klaasveld remembers that night and how his mother Raisa, his sister Georgette and he himself managed to escape. We stayed in the hiding place all night, until first light. My mother heard someone coming downstairs, so she went out of the wardrobe and closed the door so that we would be safe. It was a neighbour, 
she told him to look outside and see if there were any Germans around. He came back up and said that there was no one outside. So we went on the run, pure and simple. Then we moved for three or four months from flat to flat, hotel to hotel, from furnished lodgings to furnished lodgings, trying to avoid the roundups that were happening every day. Fortunately, these were conducted only by the Gestapo, and there weren't many of them. They would have had more human booty, so to speak, if they'd had the French police with them. So what happened in Nice in 1943 was not the same as what happened in Paris, where the French police cooperated. They didn't cooperate in Nice. The fear has gone, but the horror of that night remains. I lost my fear. It was more total horror as I saw our friends leave, I saw our neighbours leave, Jewish neighbours. There must have been a tip-off. There were several buildings, each with Jews living in them, and that night some 20 of them left, from numbers 11, 13 and 15, Rue d'Italie. After this, we were on the run. But it was really the feeling that, as Jews, we were hunted for months by people who were trying to kill us. Yet my mother had studied in Germany, my father spoke perfect German, and the Italians had been protecting us. So you see, we were already, how shall I put it, part of the fabric of Europe. Then I married a German woman who's not Jewish, and our daughter, well, I'd say pretty much as a result of our trips to Italy after the war, out of gratitude to the Italians, she met an Italian and they got married. And now we live between Germany, France and Italy. In 1965, more than 20 years after that terrible night, Serge Klaasfeld decided to find out what happened to his father. I've always treasured the memory of my father, whose spirit lives on in me. He was a historian by training, and I decided that the best way to honour his memory would be to piece together the last part of his ordeal, his internment at Drancy. So I went to the Shoah Memorial. At the time, it was known as the Contemporary Jewish Documentation Center. I consulted the archives and I found out that the Gestapo had been looking for us and that my father had been kept for three weeks, just under three weeks, at Drancy before leaving on convoy number 61 on the 28th of October 1943. I decided there and then to go to Auschwitz to see where he'd been taken and to find his registration number. Having a registration number meant that he'd lost his identity, so I wanted to find that number. I went over there armed with an account provided by one of his friends, who had left Drancy with him. This was a Romanian Jewish doctor born in Romania, just like my father, and in fact like me too. He said that when he arrived in Auschwitz, my father knocked out a capo who'd hit him. He should have been killed, but as he spoke perfect German, he pleaded his case and the duty guard sent him to a forced working party. Their task was to go down the mines, poorly fed, naturally, and to do really hard work. My father worked in the mine belonging to IG Farben industry. Although people were selected to be sent to the gas chambers after an average of six weeks, when they were no longer capable of working, he lasted six months. 
I found his registration number, 159683, in the infirmary with a cross beside it, showing that he'd either died in the so-called infirmary or been sent to the gas chamber following a selection by the SS doctors. In 1963, Serge married Beata, a German woman and a militant anti-Nazi who worked to keep the memory of the Shoah alive. She made a name for herself with her battle against former Nazis who were trying to remain in power in Germany. During a meeting of the CDU, the German Conservative and Liberal Party, on the 7th of November 1968, she slapped Kurt Georg Kiesinger, the Chancellor of the Federal Republic, calling him a Nazi. En 1967, my wife launched her campaign against Chancellor Kiesinger, a former member of the Nazi Party and deputy director of Hitler's foreign radio propaganda program. She campaigned in 1968, and this is how our story as activists begins. She lobbied against the Chancellor, urging that he be replaced by Willy Brandt, a member of the German resistance movement. Brandt was elected by the narrowest of margins and replaced Chancellor Kiesinger. This made Beata very happy. Our attention then turned to Brussels, where she campaigned against the German government's appointment of Ernst Achenbach, a Nazi diplomat implicated in the deportation of Jews from France. Beata campaigned against him, and we tried to find documents to incriminate him. In 1970, our campaign caused the German government to withdraw Achenbach's nomination as Germany's representative to the European Commission. In a happy turn of events, Ralph Dahrendorf was put forward in his place. But the Klaasfeld's work did not finish there. Thanks to their efforts, in 1975 Germany ratified a law which made it possible for those responsible for running the Nazi police apparatus in France during the war to be tried in Germany. The law came to be known as the Lex Klaasfeld. Serge and Beata then became Nazi hunters. And then we had to campaign for four years to get Germany's judiciary to apply this legal agreement and make it possible for the main figures involved in implementing the final solution in France to be tried in Cologne in 1979 in front of thousands of Jews we'd invited from France. The final solution, also known as the Jewish question. Our aim was to remove the final obstacle to Franco-German reconciliation. This is how we succeeded in having the main criminals brought to trial. Beata also found Klaus Barbie, the butcher of Lyon in South America. Independently of this, we did much to change how history remembers Vichy, with the proceedings we instituted against Vichy police chiefs René Bousquet and Maurice Papon. And then by writing such books as The Deportation Memorial or Vichy Auschwitz, The Role of Vichy in the Final Solution, The Jewish Question. Their quest will become their life's work. If you ask Serge Klaasfeld where he gets his motivation from, he will say... It's for the Shoah, for justice and the need to remember. But remembering actively, not passively. 
You can have a very accurate memory and be passive, or you can have a very accurate memory and be active. We chose to be active in our remembering, but not only in Germany, Austria or France, in South America and the Middle East too. We did what we could. Beate in order to restore Germany's good name, and me to bear witness as a Jew. It was the obvious thing for me to do. After the Second World War, Europe rises again from the ashes. After the disaster, with Europe in ruins, men of great wisdom such as General de Gaulle, Adenauer, Robert Schumann, de Gasperi in Italy, Spark in Belgium, and so on, built a Western Europe which was an oasis of freedom based on the values of justice, freedom, and economic and social progress. But time has passed and today's Europe is becoming blasé. You could easily think that Europe's values are a burden on its people who are unhappy and take all the advances for granted. Life expectancy 20 or 30 years greater than in 1940, prosperity, young people free to move all around Europe, no need for passports, a common currency. People have forgotten the 1940s, the suffering, the war and the hunger. Serge Klaasfeldt rounds off his testimony with a warning. Democratic systems always have a lot of faults, but they're still better than totalitarian systems. History has no examples of totalitarian systems making people happy. They only bring war and disaster. was My History, a project of the European Parliament in collaboration with citizens from all over Europe. If you're interested in more podcasts from the European Parliament, look online for Europal Audio or go to the My House of European History website.